This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Lessons from the world's top professors. Anytime, anyplace. World history examined and science explained. This is One Day University. Welcome. You're listening to Episode 8 of The Happiness Formula. I'm your host, Mike Coscarelli. In the last few episodes, we've been talking about wisdom in the workplace. Today, we're getting personal, exploring our roles as parents and friends. There's a saying about friendships. A good friend is like a four-leaf clover, hard to find and lucky to have. But does anyone actually know what makes a good friend? And who's figured out parenting? Well, Barry tells you how wisdom can be applied to improve your odds in both of those roles. So let's get started. I want to talk about wisdom and love. As Freud said, the secret to human happiness is found in work and love, work that is good and relations to other people that are good. We need loving relations to be happy. And what I'm going to try to convince you of is that we need wisdom to maintain loving relations with other people. I will discuss wisdom and love in two domains. One is the domain of friendship, and the other is the domain of parenting. What I will not talk about is the importance of wisdom in romantic relationships. Not because it's not important, it is, but because I don't feel like I know enough about it. So I'll concentrate on the stuff that I think I understand better than romantic relationships. But here's my prediction. If you're better at being friends and you're better at being parents, chances are you'll also be better at being lovers. At least that's the hope. 
So let's start by talking about friendship. Aristotle wrote about friendship, and he identified three different kinds of friendships that people have. One of them is based on usefulness. We might these days call these instrumental friendships, or the popular word nowadays is transactional friendships. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. You give me your business, I'll give you my business. We maintain friendships like this, instrumental friendships or friendships of convenience, because someone else has something we want. They have a skill we want to help us with a task. They have a contact we want to help introduce us to the right people. They have a certain amount of credibility or status to write us a letter of recommendation, or they have a resource to hire us for a job. So this is one kind of friendship. And of course, for Aristotle, it's a pretty crude and debased kind of friendship. The second kind of friendship that Aristotle talked about is a friendship that's based on shared pleasure. These kinds of friends are people we have a good time with, people who like going to the same restaurants, listening to the same music, watching the same movies, and doing the same kinds of exercise that we like to do. It's fun to be with these people, more because of what they like to do than because of who or what they are. Increasingly, I think we find as people move to retirement communities, they are giving up lifelong friendships and replacing them with friendships of people who basically like to do the same things. Now, we all have friends who are useful, and we all have friends who give us pleasure in shared activities, but most of us want more from at least some of our friendships than just usefulness or pleasure. We want what you might call true friendships, whatever that word true means. Friendships where the purpose is in the rewards that come from the friendship itself. Friendships for their own sake. This kind of friendship, which Aristotle called character friendship, is a relationship in which friends share common goals or purposes or projects. Friends nurture each other. They seek to give one another what is good, to help one another develop a sense of who they are, to share their deepest joys and fears, to cherish and support each other, even when it is neither pleasurable, say when a friend is sick, or depressed, nor useful. Friends like these don't worry about exploiting each other or being exploited. Giving more than they receive isn't a problem since their objective in a friendship like this is to give, to give what is good. We call such friends best friends or true friends or real friends. You can't have very many of them. They're way too demanding. 
but they're the kind of friendships we want to have. Now, what does this kind of character friendship require? We have to be trusting that the friend will have our backs, will look out for us, and we have to be trustworthy. We have to be honest, although as we've seen, honesty is not unproblematic and sometimes kindness rather than honesty is called for. We have to have experience empathy. We have to understand what it feels like to be going through what our friend is going through. We have to be a good listener. Somebody who actually is attentive when a friend is talking. We have to be thoughtful. We need to know the other person well and to understand what the other person is going through. We need kindness and compassion. We need loyalty. And loyalty is a funny thing because, of course, we're loyal to our friends, but that's not to say that friendships like this can't end. They can. There are limits to loyalty, and a point is sometimes reached where it's kind of clear to all parties that you have to go your separate ways. We want, we need acceptance, shared values, and shared interests. In a friendship, you often hear young people complaining that someone is too judgmental. And we want our friends not to be too judgmental, but that's not to say that our friends can be unjudgmental, because sometimes if we're going down a really bad, dangerous, and self injurious path, it's going to be there, the judgment of our friends that stops us, that saves us from going down that path. So that's what it takes. And we can ask for each of these requirements. What is it? How do you know you have it? Why is it so important to friendship? How do you develop it? And in what ways is it problematic? And thus, in what ways does it require wisdom or judgment? When I used to teach a class on practical wisdom to undergraduate students, 20, 21 year old students, the class began with a discussion of friendship. And the reason we began with the discussion of friendship is that everyone in the class had friends and everyone in the class probably thought of themselves as something of an expert on what purpose friends served and what your responsibilities were as a friend. What does it mean to be a good listener? Can we say that friends who are good listeners never interrupt? Don't interrupt. That's the golden rule of listening. That was the first reaction of several of our students. But wait just a second. Suppose you don't understand what your friend is saying. Or suppose your friend is confused. Doesn't it, whether you interrupt, depend on why they want you to listen? Suppose they've got a real problem and they're trying to figure it out. I'm not going to interrupt my friend in the middle of a funny story, but if they want me to listen to a problem and help them figure out a solution, I've got to stop them when they're not being clear. So figuring out how to listen is complicated. We can think of several rules to follow. Don't interrupt, try to make eye contact, 
make empathic statements like, oh, that's too bad. I really understand. Repeat back to the person what you think they are saying in order to confirm that you understand and let them know you are really listening carefully. These are little rules of thumb. Uh, And in fact, in the 1980s, the gigantic health plan, Kaiser Permanente, developed what it called its four habits model to train thousands of physicians to listen better when they interviewed patients. And it used workshops to train its staff doctors in skills like how to get patients to express their concerns, how to ask for patients' ideas, how to determine a patient's specific goal, how to demonstrate empathy. But the thing to appreciate is that here you were training, essentially training actors to perform a role because these physicians didn't know their patients. And so they had to act as if they did. Whereas with genuine friends, best friends, closest friends, of course, we don't need to be following a script because we are naturally inclined to do all of these things. So good listening depends on who our friend is, what sort of conversation we're having, what our friend is struggling with, how she'll react to interruptions and questions, and how we in turn will react to what we sense, what we hear, and what we see. To do this kind of listening, rules are not enough. If the aim of good listening is to come as close as we can to understanding what our friend means and what he or she is experiencing, then techniques for conveying empathy are not enough. We have to actually be empathetic. We have to have the capacity to read our friend and the situation and to imagine what he is feeling and to put ourselves in the situation and imagine how we would feel if we were in that situation. In addition, as a friend, as a good listener, you need courage. This may seem weird, but understanding what our friend really means may expose us to fear and danger. We may hear things we don't want to know, things that risk changing how we feel about someone close to us, maybe even change how we feel about ourselves and our own way of being in the world. If a good friend is someone we love because of what we share, then her confusion or pain or doubt may raise similar feelings inside of us. Really understanding what my friend is saying may confront me with the need to examine and question what I already believe. A good listener needs to be willing to risk hearing surprising or unpleasant things about his friend and also risk confronting his own fears and doubts without shutting down or running from the conversation. Good listeners need to be brave. As I say, it's not obvious or intuitive that listening is a brave act, but really listening, really putting yourself on the line by listening is an act of bravery, and it's what friends depend on from their very good friends. 
Friends need to be honest, but we've already seen that there are limits to honesty. Sometimes a clearly moral trait like honesty can be an obstacle to friendship because of the trade-off that exists between honesty and kindness. Friends need to be empathetic, but you can be too empathetic. Uh, Jerome Groupman, the doctor we already talked about in connection with the young cancer patient, described an example uh, from his own past where he felt too much for a patient. This was a young man, very physically active, athletic, who developed bone cancer, which was excruciating. So the man was, even with ma massive pain medication, in agony much of the time. And Groupman would go and check on him on a daily basis. Um, and they developed a real relationship. He felt a real attachment to this young guy. And when he came in to talk to him and examine him, he basically left him alone. He was, the guy was in such discomfort that he, the Groupman didn't want to move him around. He wanted to keep his discomfort as minimal as he possibly could. Well, one day out of the blue, this guy developed a raging fever, 104, 105. He had become septic. He nearly died. The source of the fever, the source of the infection, was bed sores. The reason for the bed sores is that Groupman had not moved him around when he came to see him because he wanted to minimize this patient's discomfort. So just let him lie there in whatever position he was able to tolerate rather than turning him on a side so that uh, making bed sores less likely. So he was so concerned with the suffering of the patient that he made what he subsequently realized was a terrible medical decision. And it was a medical decision aimed at sparing suffering that almost cost the patient his life. And so feeling too much is a problem, just as not feeling is a problem. We want our friends to be empathetic, but we need for them at least sometimes to be detached, to be detached enough that they can see the situation we're in perhaps more clearly then we can see it and thus give us wise counsel that we would be unable to provide ourselves. So to summarize, true friendship, what Aristotle called character friendship, requires many virtues. Sometimes these virtues are in tension with one another and resolving this tension requires wisdom, requires judgment. This in turn requires knowing the other person well enough to figure out what the situation calls for. And so good friends are wise friends. And this raises questions. How many friends of this kind can a person have? When you think about how demanding 
friendship is, at least as I've described it, it's hard to imagine having more than a handful of people in your life who are like this. And so there's probably a limit on the number of true friendships you can have in a life. Well, it's time for a quick break. But when we come back, Barry explains how our needs from friends change as we get older and what parents can learn from their child's imaginary friend. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Another question, increasingly relevant in the age in which we live. Can you have a long-distance friend? Can you have an online friend? What do we give up when we replace face-to-face human interactions with text messaging or eye chatting or even telephone conversations? I don't think we know the answer this. There is no formula or recipe to what it requires to be a good friend. And it's quite possible that friendship requires uh, and means different things to people at different points in their lives. What we want from friends when we're middle-aged and what we want from friends when we're young adults and what we want from friends when we're old and decrepit may be quite different. And similarly, what we can provide to friends may be quite different at different stages in life. Should friends be judgmental? I try to suggest that we don't like the idea 
the people we care about judging us. On the other hand, we need the people we care about judging us at least some of the time because we may have a harder time looking at our lives in the right way than a friend does. And so sometimes a friend needs to say, you know, you're drinking too much. Uh, You know, you're uh, burning the candle at both ends. Uh, You know, I think you're giving your teenage kid too much freedom. I think you need to rein it in a little bit. Friends sometimes need to tell us that they think we're doing something wrong. And yet they need to tell us in a way that doesn't threaten the safety we feel in revealing to them the things that concern us. And so being judgmental is important, but you have to find a way to be judgmental in the right way. There's no formula. Friends need to be flexible. What that means is that they need to treat different people in different ways. And it means they need to treat the same person in different ways at different points in time, depending on what the context requires. And that's why to be a good friend, you must be a wise friend. Now, I said I wouldn't talk about romantic relationships, but it seems to me at the very least that what we want our friends to be, and what we want our relations with our friends to be, we also want our relations with our romantic partners to be. We want our partners to be our friends. We want them to be empathetic. We want them to be good listeners. We want them to help us be the best self we can be. And we want to do the same for them. We want to give at least as much as we get. And there's laid on top of that, of course, is the, you know, the sort of romantic dimension. But I think romance without friendship is, in a fundamental way, incomplete. And so uh, you might say romantic partners are just really, really, really good friends who happen to live together. Okay, so let us turn then to a different aspect of social relations, a different aspect of love. And this is the love that parents have for their children. What does it take to be a good parent? I will end this lecture with a story and then we'll take it up in the next lecture. The writer Adam Gopnik told a story about his three-year-old daughter, Olivia, and her imaginary friend, Charlie Ravioli. Olivia is growing up in Manhattan, and her friend Charlie is already a sophisticated Manhattanite. Remember, Olivia is three. Charlie lives in an apartment on Madison Avenue in Lexington. He dines on grilled chicken, fruit, and water, Having reached the age of seven and a half, he feels or is thought to be old. Gopnik learns more about Charlie Ravioli when Olivia talks about his doings at the dinner table or talks with Charlie on her toy telephone. 
Ravioli, it's Olivia. It's Olivia. Come and play? Okay, call me. Bye. Then she snaps her phone shut and shakes her head. I always get his machine, she says. Or she'll say, I spoke to Ravioli today. Did you have fun? My wife and I ask. No, he was busy working. On a good day, she bumps into her invisible friend and they go to a coffee shop. I bumped into Charlie Ravioli, she announces at dinner. We had coffee, then he had to run. She sighs, sometimes at her inability to make their schedules mesh, but she accepts it as inevitable, just the way life is. I bumped into Charlie Ravioli today, she says. He was working. Then she adds brightly, but we hopped into a taxi. What happened then, we ask. We grabbed lunch, she says. Her conversations, Gopnik saw, were drawn from those she heard from her mother. Here's a mother conversation with a friend. How was your day? Oh, you know, I tried to make a date with Meg, but I couldn't find her, so I left a message on her machine. Then I bumped into Emily after that meeting I had in Soho, and we had coffee, and then she had to run. But by then, Meg had reached me on my cell, and we arranged. It seems odd to have an imaginary playmate who's always too busy to play with you, Martha, my wife, said to me. Shouldn't your imaginary playmate be someone you tell secrets to and sing songs with? It shouldn't be somebody who's always hopping into taxis. Gopnik goes on to reflect on how grown-ups in New York have become so busy and so obsessed with the language of busyness that it dominates their conversation. Like Charlie Ravioli, we hop into taxis and leave phone messages to avoid our acquaintances and find that we keep missing our friends. Gopnik mentions one intimate who he lives just across the park from, with whom he emails often, and who he's fortunate to see two or three times a year. They are always busy. I think Gopnik and his wife would have learned to live happily with Charlie Ravioli had it not been for the appearance of Lori. She threw them badly. At dinner, Olivia had been mentioning a new personage almost as often as she mentioned Ravioli. I talked to Lori today, she'd begin. She says Ravioli's busy, or she would be closeted with her playphone. Lori, tell Ravioli I'm calling. Gopnik pressed her about who exactly Lori was. Olivia shook her head. She works for Ravioli, she said. Lori says Ravioli is too busy to play, Olivia announced sadly one morning. Things seem to be deteriorating now. Now Ravioli was too busy even to say he was too busy. So I hope you found the story of Charlie Ravioli poignant and amusing. The reason for including it was to make obvious to you something that you probably already knew, which is our children are always watching and listening to us. And we likely teach them more when we're not trying to teach them than we do when we are trying to teach them. Thanks for listening. We hope this puts you on a path to being a better friend. We'll see you next time when Barry talks about how parents can be good listeners. 
The Happiness Formula from One Day University is a production of iHeart Podcasts and School of Humans. If you're enjoying the show, leave a review in your favorite podcast app and check out the Curiosity Audio Network for podcasts covering history, pop culture, true crime, and more. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.